Trying to keep the prioritization around great people, impact, growth and development, financial reward, balance, and something that you really care about, I think is important. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Gary Swart, general partner of leading venture capital firm Polaris Partners, focusing on investing in technology and healthcare companies. Prior to joining Polaris, he was CEO of Odesk, now Upwork, the world's largest online work marketplace. He regularly appears in major media such as CNBC, NPR, Fox, and Washington Post to discuss marketplaces, the freelance economy, and the future of work. In this episode, Gary shares insights on achieving balance, prioritization factors, filtering by relationships, using frameworks, the power of digital detoxes, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Gary's great insights. Gary, it's awesome to have you on Thriving on Overload. Ross, so nice to be here. Nice to see you again. So, Gary, you've been a CEO of a large company. You're now a venture capitalist. Uh, you have information all over the place that you have to make sense of in your role. So how do you do it? <clears throat> well, Ross, not only do I have information coming from all sources, but it's getting harder and harder, um, especially in a, in a COVID world when you know, you're online, you're always on your phone or on your PC, and it, it's just getting harder and harder. Um, but you know, one of the things that I realized is sort of in the answers in your question, you know, I used to be a CEO of a a company and now I'm a venture capitalist. And when I was looking at my next job, I decided that I wanted to build in more balance into my career. Uh, as a CEO, it's so hard. And I used to say that, you know, my priorities were work, family and health and fitness. And I had time for little else outside those three. And I found that I was trying to build more things into health and fitness, which I now redefine as balance. And so um, I would say, you know, first and foremost, it was designing a career around my own prioritization of what was important to me. And balance is now more important than ever uh, in, in my work life. So there's, I mean, there's overload in terms of quantity of work, but there's also in terms of amount of information. So arguably, if you're a VC, you are, have lots of companies you, you have responsibilities for and many more that you're passing to see whether they make the cut. So surely there's an immense amount for you to be keeping across, and not, to, not to mention just keeping, seeing what's happening in the environment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there it's probably most important is to prioritize and filter yet again. 
I remember when I was switching from an operator into the venture job, um, somebody told me, they said, you know, in your first year of venture, you see 100 things, you're gonna, going to want to do 50 of them. And, you know, by your fifth year in venture, you're going to see 100 things, you, you don't want to do any of them. And it's so true. And so what um, somebody told me early on was prioritize, come up with your area of expertise and don't get too distracted by by everything. And so, you know, I was coming out of sort of future of work, a marketplace business, having run Odesk for nine years, uh, now Upwork. And I um, I started off by saying, well, I'm a marketplace guy in the future of work. And my first deal was in hybrid cloud management. So it's so easy to get distracted by a shiny object. Fortunately, that turned out to be a good investment. That company was acquired by Cisco. But now I'm, I've learned to... Um, to filter and to really pick a specialty in a niche and gets much narrower on what your hill actually is. Uh, one, it helps you just stay more organized, but two, it, it helps you to say no to things a lot a lot sooner. So, so let's dig into that, that prioritization. So you're saying part of the prioritization is saying, this is what I know, this is what I'm going to stick to, and I'm not going to be looking outside. Is that right? It is, yeah. And, and what happens is things may still be appealing and you may take a meeting, but your chance of investing in it um, get get narrower and narrower uh, when you have a focus. So it makes it a lot easier to to um, you know I say don't ignore uh, yellow lights, right? So the light is either red or green. The problem is when the light is yellow and you still proceed forward. You know, one of those times right. you're gonna you're gonna blow through a red light and get caught. So it's just better to stop at red lights earlier and not not waste time. Are there any other aspects to the prioritization in terms of values, time it will take, uh, geography, uh, any other filters? You know, early on, I, um, again, along the lines of look at everything, I remember I was looking at a deal that was based in Minneapolis. And I remember one of my partners saying, really, you want to go to Minneapolis like once a month for a board meeting? There's not enough in the Bay Area. And I ended up passing on that deal. And it turned out to be a, a very, very, very good deal. And I said no, because of geography. And, you know, I regretted that. But now, you know, post COVID, it's hard to get back on a plane. You know, I, um, yeah. I have to go to a board meeting in Boston in a few weeks. And on one hand, I'm looking forward to going to Boston. On the other hand, I'm saying, oh, my gosh, it's been nice to not have to get to the airport, fly cross country, get out to Burlington, Massachusetts from Boston, you know, and, and go through the rigmarole just to sit in the boardroom, right? And so there is something around uh, geography, but I also think, you know, you can miss out on some, some great deals. Um, you know, the key is, um, you know, really trying to organize around what's most important, uh, what's most important to you. And, um, you know, I always have said, you know, impact, growth and development, financial reward and balance on top of working with great people in something that you feel really passionate and that you love. So if it's a great person and it's something you love and the company has a huge opportunity for impact and you're going to learn a lot, then maybe your balance suffers a little bit and it means getting on a plane, but trying to keep the prioritization around you know, great people, uh, impact, growth and development, financial reward, balance, and something that you really care about, I think is important. So before you even just look at any companies, you have to get a sense of what's changing in the world. 
So future of work, I mean, by the whole, when you say future, it means that it's happening, it's changing, it's uh, moving fast. So let's, let's, why don't we just get back to basics in terms of routine? Do you have a information routine? Do you come up and look at, uh, wake up in the morning, look at particular sources? What are, what are your sources of information? What, what are your inputs? How do you get, make a sense of what's going on? Yeah, I think that that's something really important. You know, you can uh, you can have information overload just from email, right? So, like, what I get inbound, uh, unsolicited, and I, I have to say, we've never done a deal. I personally have never done a deal or have done anything from unsolicited email. So, first and foremost, is who is sending you a message? Who's reaching out to you? Who who's the universe of people that uh, you know that you trust? And that you, um, you, you know, who, who would you call to ask about something uh, uh, important that hit your desk? And so I think that's uh, probably one of the best things you can do is limit the number of sources that you trust for information. And, you know, let's say that that's 20 people. 20 people would be a lot. And every once in a while, maybe 21 enters onto your radar and maybe number 17 falls off the list. But keeping that universe uh, tight and recognizing who's important in that universe and then keeping in contact with those people and staying top of mind. I think that is a really important technique. And what I tend to do is I think my universe tends to get too big. And then all of a sudden you hear from somebody that you haven't spoken to in two years. You say, oh my gosh, I, I used to love that person. And we did this great thing together. And I definitely should meet them for coffee and hear what they have to say. And so I tend to get distracted because I don't want to say my network is, is so big, but because there's so many people that I like and respect and trust in my network. But the key is really trying to filter that down to, um, to the relationships that are sort of most informed, people that you really trust for the right information. Uh, I think that's a good technique. And, and then, you know, you didn't ask this, but you get to the next step where you like something. Who do you reach out to for that second opinion? Like, you know, if you're going to ask around, who do you trust as the expert for information in different areas? I think is really important. So let's say you've got a, a core group of trusted people, you know, know, uh, understand what's going on. Do you just set up conversations? Uh, how do you how do you reach out to them? How do you I suppose, you know, obviously there's value exchange. I mean, I'm sure they're tapping your, uh, your insights at the same time as you're tapping theirs. So how do, you, how do you use them as sources of information and insight? I think an important thing is to, is to sort of do the job before you get the job. And so what I prefer to do is, is figure out how can I add value for, for that group. And so you know, maybe you're on a board with somebody, maybe you're, um, you're ma you find a deal that's not right for you, but maybe right for a person on that list, and you're making that connection. And I think by doing these things, you stay top of mind, right? So I say, do the job before you get the job. You're not necessarily, I'm not reaching out to Ross for a favor, I'm reaching out to Ross with a favor. And it's really, really important. And I can give you a quick anecdote. I had breakfast with somebody that I would consider on, on that list, or at least they used to be on the list. I, I would say I've probably fallen out of touch with this person, but it was a, a series, a seed investor that I, I trusted a lot and, and always respected. And we had breakfast and I said, this is sweet spot for me. And here are the deals that I like. And about a month later, I met this company and unfortunately I met them too late. 
they were uh, they accepted a term sheet two days after I met him for the first time. And it turns out that this person I had brunch with a month earlier was on the board of that company. And so I called him and said, hey, we just had brunch. I told you my sweet spot. This company is in that sweet spot. And he said, you know what? I just forgot. Like it was one of those. He goes, you would be perfect for this company. And it just slipped my mind. And they raised so fast. They just started last week, you know, and so it wasn't top of mind a month earlier. But, you know, here we are three weeks later and I was just too late. And so you have to stay um, you have to stay top of mind. You've got to be you've got to be in the river, if you will. Right, right. So in terms of just, uh, you know, Internet based or media based or uh, you know other sources i mean do you have a particular routine there's particular sources you go to or not yeah you know it was so funny ross during i would say uh, during the election i spent way too much time on twitter consuming news that wasn't important um or in some cases accurate yeah. you know i got totally like pulled in and i realized that i was getting pulled into this vortex which is maybe the the curse and the beauty of a platform like like twitter um but i realized that that was not the best source of information um and so you, you know i do read all of the it could be fun it, oh it's fun oh it, it was amazing i mean i got consumed in a, probably both a positive and a negative way you know i mean it was um yeah, I just I just got uh, pulled way too in. But, uh, you know, for us, uh, Polaris now does a lot at the intersection of healthcare and technology. And so I'm trying to come up to speed on the healthcare side is coming, you know, mostly from the tech side. So, um, you know, a lot of the uh, I'm on a lot of the distribution list there where they're talking about, you know, um, deals being funded and and, um, you know, things important in that world. Uh, I would say that I've concentrated my efforts around uh, more around the healthcare than the tech side, since I'm probably more familiar with the uh, the tech side. Um, I rely on my partners, so you know my partners are always sending around. Some of our partners are physicians by training, and so they're sending around interesting white papers or things that are relevant to areas that we're looking at. Uh, you know, things like you know, telemedicine or remote patient monitoring or healthcare services or, or health IT. And so anything around that, you know, trying to get smart about um, the, the, really the, the future with regards to healthcare and technology, re really at the intersection. Um, we'll ask around, um, you know, I'll try and um, organize uh, materials, you know, if I get something where it's interesting but not important, I might uh, I might park it for later. But I'm very much a disciple of sort of the zero inbox, you know, sort of deal with it, delegate it, or delete it. I find that if I table something, rarely do I get back to it. You know, it's almost like it must not have been that important if I if I tabled it. And so I try and um, and and deal with it. Uh, delegate it or delete it. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan 
so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. So when you've got, let's say, for example, there's these white papers, information around, you know, some, for example, you know, the healthcare and technology. So do you take notes in any form? Do you just sort of soak that in? Do you build some kind of structures or uh, frameworks for thinking about uh, the space? Do you identify any gaps that you are trying to to fill? Typically, we'll... um we, we as a firm sort of build a structure around, um, you know, the areas of interest. And then we'll try and I personally will try and, and put it into a, a bucket. Like, where would this fit in this framework? Um, you know, like remote patient monitoring or telemedicine or healthcare services or health IT. And then what specifically? Is this a data play? Is this an infrastructure play? Is this, you know, mental health or... Uh, a, a specific disease. And so I'll try and figure out where does it fit in that framework and then try and prioritize it. Say, okay, how important is this? Like, you know, for example, I was um, a few months ago, we, we made an investment in a, a mental health company. And then I was looking at everything around mental health and trying to get smart about, you know, the, the technology plays, the, the biometrics, the wearables, the you know, the, the, the tele, the pure platform, the, you know, and so, um, we went deep on that and ended up with probably, oh, and the beauty is we have uh, associates at Polaris who are really good at research. And we ended up with probably a 20 page memo that summarized the whole landscape. And so I was able to, uh, delegate a lot of that to come up with a sort of a summary of the whole thing without having to dive into each piece of information individually. So the um, is that framework, yeah, you know, just internal proprietary. Is that visible or shared with any, are there any people outside the firm? Uh, that's proprietary. Although I would say we've shared it with people. Uh, you know, I've personally shared it with people who are close to us. Who you know, maybe on the you know the sourcing side, or um, you know, experts in the field, or you know, people who are at um, seed stage firms where we typically don't complete compete in order to help, uh, you know, filter or help guide opportunities to us. Right. So then that, that framework then becomes a way of being able to understand where things fit within the landscape and, uh, you know, assess some of the priorities, which see whether it's relevant to you or not. Exactly. So, you know, if you think about it, sort of a two by two framework of, um, you know, level of interest, how interested are we on the, x-axis and how qualified is the opportunity on the y and things can be really interesting just not qualified right so i typically don't do seed stage deals we may but we typically don't so that means that they're beyond the seed stage they have some revenue um and then where did it come from right who who sourced the opportunity and is it a first-time founder you know, I often say people PowerPoint and Excel, are they exceptional people? Are they telling a good story? Do they have some Excel to back it up? And so there's a certain level of qualification where it may be interesting, but not qualified. And so if you trust, you know, you put a filter on the front, you trust where that information comes from, then I think it helps to, um, uh, you know, right off the bat, you have other people filtering for you. 
Right. But I suppose that there's two ways. One is that you need to tell them what they, you are, the, the frame. In a way, if you're getting delegating the research, you need to tell them what you're looking for and what the frame is. And so that's part of almost the synthesis or the higher level thinking. And then there's still the application of that or make, making sense or the, you know, the big picture, higher order thinking, which comes from that. Yes. And, you know, some things may be uh, qualified, but not that interesting because they fit out of an area of focus or which may move over to the right. They may, we may become interested, right? If it's, uh, if it's so qualified or something may not be qualified today because it's too early, but, um, you know, something that we like and we can add some value and stay close and maybe interesting later. So are there any, any thing you do in terms of managing your schedule to block out time for particular, I suppose, you know, searching for information or thinking about that or deep dives, or I suppose getting into a, a synthesis frame of mind to see higher, higher, bigger picture or just scanning? Um, I, probably not enough. I will say this, you know, I, I did say that balance was more important to me. And along those lines, I like to exercise. And so what I'll do is I'll save some from information for when I'm on the Peloton. And so I find that I can you know, sort of have the, the the music and the instructor on Peloton on low. And I actually enjoy consuming material while I'm getting a little bit of exercise. So on the bike is not a bad time to do that. Stationary bike, not a, not a road bike. Um, uh, the other thing is that I enjoy um, going, I live in the Palo Alto area, uh, but we also have a house in Santa Cruz, which is about an hour away. And so the drive across, back and forth across the hill, that's two hours a day where I can either one, have a conference call or two, consume content. And so I find that that's a great way to, um, to, to get through a lot of material, you know, and that's listening, not, not actually reading. Uh, and on the bike, it's mostly reading, not listening. Okay. Right. So how, how fast do you listen to your audio? Uh, yeah, one and a half X. You know? <laughs> it's, it's one of those choices where it's, uh, there's such a thing as too fast. Yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing. I actually read at a point at about 0.75 X. Sometimes I have to reread things over. So, uh, the, the listening actually is, uh, is preferred for me in a lot of cases. Right. So, but you do choose to read on, uh, when you're on the bike. When I'm on the bike. Yeah. But, you know, to your question about sort of diving deeper and, you know, really um, looking at, uh, at a landscape and trying to get smart, you, you know, one of the things that I found is that's probably not my strength. And so leveraging others to help do that, like I, I, if somebody helps organize it, I'm fine consuming it. But the actual going and organizing it is not prob it's probably not my strong suit. And so leveraging others... Uh, to do that. And, and, you know, in a lot of cases, there's experts, you can subscribe to services, even fortunately, we have resources uh, in our firm that can help with that. And I, as I mentioned earlier, around that mental health memo, that was spectacular, right? Hiring somebody uh, who's really good at, at, you know, creating, doing all the research and creating that landscape was fantastic. Do you, are there a particular information source? Do you use aggregators? Do you go to major media publications, to uh, industry journals? 
Is there it's anything all, which you find as consistent sources of information? You know, it's all of the above. As far as media, major media publications, you know, like I subscribe to the New York Times, uh, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, San Francisco Chronicle, because I live in the Bay Area. Um, you know, um, I, I like the, I still like the periodicals, like, you know, Inc. Magazine and Fortune and the like. I, I like consuming those on weekends in the backyard. I, I find there there's a lot of fluff, but I also enjoy um, uh, some of the articles there. And there I still like the print version. For all the others, the online is, is fine. Um, and, you know, I start my day with the New York Times Digest, which is just sort of, to me, it's almost like world news. And so I'll start with the New York Times. I'll go to the um, the Wall Street Journal. New York Times is sort of general, you know, their digest is, you know, a little bit of politics, a little bit of um, uh, COVID, a little bit of late night humor. What happened on late night last night? Uh, you know, yeah. I, I like enjoy that as like a high level. The Wall Street Journal is financial. The, the Washington Post is political. And so just to get through those, you know, that can be a half an hour on the Peloton, 45 minutes on the Peloton, just to get through sort of world news. Uh, before I dive into sort of industry specific or, you know, venture specific uh, stuff. And, you know, I still like um, uh, uh, TechCrunch. I still like uh, Kara Swisher and, um, and, you know, I'll still listen to her podcast. We were talking about Tim Ferriss earlier. And so um, listening to founder stories or, um, you know, interviews, I I feel like I learn a lot uh, there as well. So this comes back to you know your you know very experience. You've paid your dues. You're sort of the the VC now. So how how is how do you feel that that has come together in terms of your uh, the breadth of your understanding? I mean, is this simply by accretion, whereas just over time you're building experience? Are there any ways that you facilitate that? Uh, I suppose what would hope is uh, wisdom over over time? Well, you know, the interesting thing, Ross, is one of my good friends says experience is what you get when you don't get all the other things you want. And, you know, I'm older now. I mean, I've had a long career and I feel like I've had a lot of different experiences, you know, uh, successful startups, failed startups. Um, you know, I started at a, a little tiny company that ended up at, you know, through a series of mergers and acquisitions and going public and more acquisitions and getting acquired and ultimately acquired by IBM. So, you know, I went from employee number 25 to employee number 125,000. And you just can't replicate that experience. And so I uh, feel like I've learned a lot of valuable lessons through this, this journey and I personally love sharing my stories and the, the wisdom, if you want to define it as wisdom, a lot of it was mistakes, right? It was experience, which came from parts of the journey that maybe weren't enjoy, enjoyable or successful even. But that, um, I enjoy talking about it. And so I'll spend a lot of time chatting with entrepreneurs, speaking at uh, various business schools. You know, there's a couple of case studies on Odesk, you know, and um, our, our strategy and why we picked the strategy we did and even about the Odesk Elance merger and why we chose to merge. And I'll still speak as the protagonist uh, at different business schools on that case. And I, I really enjoy that. Um, and so for me, it's, you know, part of sort of honing the, 
and thinking about the experiences and, and what did I actually learn. But maybe to your question, that doesn't make you a great investor. It may make you a decent operator, but that doesn't make you a great venture capitalist. And venture capital is about making um, money for your limited partners. It's not about the experience. And so there may be people on the player's team that are better investors. But what I like about the venture job, especially with, with our firm, is that you, you really feel like you're part of a team. My strength as an operator, maybe somebody else picked the investment, but now I can help that CEO to become or be a better CEO, right? Whether it's through coaching or counseling or stories about some of my experiences or because I have so many battle scars in this area, I think my operational experience makes me a, a valuable member of our um, you know, team with varied skill sets, right? And um, the, the other thing that's interesting, as I mentioned, we're investing at the intersection of healthcare and technology. Well, I mostly come from the technology side, but you know, my partner, Amy, ran consumer products at Pfizer after she was general counsel at Pfizer. And my partner, Darren, ran Corp Dev at Lilly. And my partner, Amir, is a PhD scientist out of MIT and Alexandra Same out of Harvard. And Isaac is a physician by training. And so we've got this really, um, you know, varied skill set on our bench and can bring lots of different resources to bear in a in a healthcare uh, technology opportunity. That's fantastic. So any final thoughts or, or uh, advice? Let's say there's uh, someone who's an uh, aspiring VC or uh, investor. So do you have any advice around making sense, you know, this idea of thriving on overload, of, of making sense of what's by na its nature too much information to be able to make better decisions? Yeah, too much information for sure. So, you know, number one is I would say limit the information. And how do you do that? Well, you filter it, you, you, you know, define and prioritize the, the sources that you trust and, and, and focus there. Um, you know, we talked about deal with delegate or delete, like, you know, I would say avoid decision fatigue, like too many inputs. I struggled with this as a CEO, you know, you have, you have enough information, but you want more information. And, uh, I'll give you an example of this. We, we redid our house a few years ago and, I remember like, you know, looking at two doorknobs. Do you want this one or that one? And saying, well, I like this one better than that one is good enough. And my wife would say, we need to look at more doorknobs. And I'm like, we have enough. Like we don't like more doorknobs. Like, how about, okay, so three, we'll pick A, a B or C. And um, so I, uh, yeah, it's, it's avoiding decision fatigue. Like too many inputs is, is not great. And then, you know, as we talked about, how do you organize the material in a way that, makes sense for you, whether it be through uh, frameworks or, um, or the like. And then I would say there's one other thing that you can do. And I think you asked this, and I didn't give this as an answer. You said, do you take time for yourself to, to, to actually do the deep dive and to, and to think about and strategize about the future of work and what specifically and, and the like? And there, I think a really valuable thing to do is just unplug, right? It's not have any in too you know too many inputs or too many distractions you know like there's got to be flow time where you shut this off and you shut that off and you say i'm just going to do this 
And I don't know if you picked up on this, but I'm a multitasker, right? I'm consuming while I'm on the bike. And in some, sometimes I think that can be valuable. Other times I think not so much. And so, you know, multitasking can be good, um, but also taking the time to sort of unplug and, um, uh, and, and, and think about it. If you don't mind, I know this is running on, but I just one quick story around that. My wife had a, a milestone birthday a few years ago, and she said, I, we're going away. We went to Hawaii, and she said, I would like a digital detox vacation. And so no devices. And I said, well, you know, I prefer a Kindle as opposed to a hardcover book. And she said, no, nope, no Kindle, because you can get your email. And I like the Apple Watch. She was like, no Apple Watch. You can still get messages. She said, for my birthday, I would like digital detox. And she packed a suitcase full of hard hardcover books. And she did the research and had a whole suitcase filled with books. We have four kids. And she brought everybody into the room and said, okay, pick a book. And I read three books you know, six days in Hawaii. And it was fantastic. It was so great. Now you can have your phone in the room when you weren't in public, but nothing at the table, nothing on the beach, nothing when everybody was together. And I have to say it was really good. It was so good that on a subsequent vacation, my kids said, how about digital detox again? <laughs> so I, I just sort of, uh, just a point about unplugging and taking time to not over consume. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, it's not a complete cure, but uh, it can certainly help balance out. Thank you so much for your time uh, and your insight, Gary. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thanks, Ross. And sorry for my information overload. I'm so passionate about it. I probably tried to pack too much information into this conversation. So my apologies. Not at all. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Ross. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com, where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review, and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.